You're listening to Irish Radio Canada. And earlier on the year, we had the opportunity to have a chat with the Irish Minister for the Diaspora, Kieran Cannon. And Kieran has had a very busy year. He managed two trips to Canada towards the end of the year, and I'm delighted that he has been able to take some time to share a little with us around this time of the year. Minister, thanks a million for taking the time. Hello, Austin. How are you? And hello to all of your uh, listeners. And thanks for the opportunity to speak with you uh, this afternoon from Dublin. Um, It's been a fascinating uh, and fantastic year in terms of my work with my colleagues in the Department of Foreign Affairs, the Irish Abroad Unit, in engaging with and supporting Irish communities around the world. Um, As you say yourself, um, it was my first time to visit Canada in this role. In fact, my first time to visit Canada full stop. And I visited, um, I suppose, two very different places, uh, at the bustling city of Toronto and the beautiful island of Newfoundland. Um, two, I suppose, very different Irish communities, Newfoundland being our oldest uh, Irish diaspora community in the world, uh, history there going back almost 400 years, and then Toronto, where we've seen a lot of um, new Irish uh, emigrating to that city and playing a significant role in the ongoing economic and success of that city. So. Um, it was great to see those two different perspectives in terms of the Irish community in Canada. So and again, internationally... Yeah, yeah so Minister, I was going to say yeah. that that would mean that internationally then, what you get to see really is that the Irish diaspora is like a patchwork quilt. That's exactly the point I was going to make. It, it is exactly that. I mean, there are 70 million people all over the world who claim an Irish ancestry, and they vary from, you know, the people, some of them uh, living in Renews and on the edge of Canada and the, on the edge of the Atlantic, um, for whom uh, their connection is an ancestry going back three, four hundred years to those perhaps in Toronto or in Dubai or in Bangkok where I was two weeks ago that are recently emigrated. Um, and it is that diversified, it is that varied um, and, and it is, I suppose, difficult at times in being able to respond to the diverse needs of that community and to engage effectively with them and support them in, in, as best we can. In order to do that, we're constantly... Um, engaging with and surveying our, our diaspora worldwide uh, to try and determine you know, where exactly they're at in their own lives, how we in the Irish Abroad Unit and the Department of Foreign Affairs and ultimately the government can support them in maintaining their links with Ireland, uh, in allowing them to, I suppose, to play a part in Ireland's ongoing engagement with the world. Um, just earlier this year, the Thornish, the Simon Coveney and the Taoiseach, Leo Bradker, uh, we, and we all we launched a document called Global Ireland 2025, which seeks to double Ireland's global footprint by 2025, and that uh, covers a number of different streams. Uh, but one of them is to um, to deepen our engagement with our diaspora worldwide, because it is only by strengthening and building that Irish community worldwide uh, that we can hope to. I suppose, allow Ireland to take its place amongst the nations of the world and, and allow us to be able to build that very, very strong community so that that community abroad can be of assistance to us and equally so we can be assistance to Irish people worldwide. Yeah. And then from a Canadian perspective, of course, increasing that footprint has resulted in the establishment of a consulate in Vancouver and in um, the IDA establishing an office in Toronto. Correct, yeah. In fact, we are seeing, certainly in, in light of the new uh, trade agreement between Canada and the European Union, a very significant increase in what you might call business traffic between Ireland and Canada, uh, which is what we expected when we signed that agreement, um, along with our EU partners. And, and the IDA are over there now, as their Enterprise Ireland establishing a stronger presence, and indeed the Department of Foreign Affairs establishing a stronger presence to try and capitalise on that new business relationship between our two countries. 
Uh, and the very fact that we have a significant Irish community now basing themselves in Canada, many of whom are deeply involved and many of whom at very senior levels within that business community, again allows us to um, enter into you know, uh, agreements and arrangements that are mutually beneficial to both communities, both here in Ireland and indeed in Canada. Now, I know it's not within your portfolio, Minister, but at this time, um, everybody is very, very <coughs> cognizant of Brexit. And I think one of the things I want to put to you is that the current crisis that exists with Brexit is probably helping many uh, people internationally get an understanding of the island of Ireland for the first time. That's very true, Austin, including, I would argue, a lot of people living in Britain, just, you know, 50, 60 miles away from here, um, that didn't really understand, I suppose, the complexity of securing a peace in Northern Ireland 20 years ago. Now, this year, we're celebrating the 20th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, uh, how complex and how difficult it was to arrive at that peace agreement, uh, and how fragile it can be at times, and how protective we are of it as a country. And when, it, we, when we initially became aware of the decision by Britain to leave the European Union, that was our deepest concern, that in leaving the European Union, um, that we wouldn't um, in any way affect or, or potentially damage that fragile peace, which is why we've been so protective of the requirement to ensure a seamless, essentially non-existent border between uh, Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland. And that's been to the, at the very, very heart of our negotiations we've engaged in all along. And in making that case to our partners, all of our partner countries in the European Union, they have been nothing but utterly supportive of Ireland in protecting that peace and recognising um, that the relationship between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland is a very unique one and needs to be protected at all costs in terms of the, the process whereby Britain leaves the European Union at this point in time, supposedly next March. But... Um, Let's see how things pan out in the next few weeks. Indeed. And the other area, you mentioned uh, how the Irish have excelled in many parts of the world and in Canada in business, but a very mm. important aspect that you would be seeing and touching upon is the Irish influence <coughs> in sport and in the arts. And again, how the GAA particularly are bringing Irish national sports globally. They are, and very successfully. You know, no matter where I go in the world, um, I make a point of visiting the GA clubs, the GA facilities that are in the region or in the area. And it always amazes me that, that the GA has become the default, the, the go-to place for Irish people worldwide when they first arrive in a new community. Um, I was in um, Bangkok two weeks ago uh, to officially open the Asian Games where we had a thousand players, mentors, supporters uh, coming from all over Asia to have their was in essence they're, they're all Ireland finals on the other side of the world um, and the power of that network uh, and the support structure that an Irish person can plug into the minute they arrive in a new city anywhere in the world is, is something to behold it really is because you know it's much more than about sport, it's about community and I, I was raised in a small rural community on the east, uh, I'm sorry the west coast of Ireland um, growing up the GA and community were interchangeable. The GA was community, community was the GA, and that that kind of um, supportive element, that that, that that bringing together part of what the GA does, is really, really special and really effective when you take it abroad. And that's why the Department of Foreign Affairs and the GA have an arrangement now, a funding um, alliance between the two of us, so that we can co-fund the development of the GEA uh, network around the world. And that's, we see that as being a very, very important part of the work that we do in the Department of Foreign Affairs. And I know, Minister, you have a very um, personal relationship with the arts and that you managed to bring that to Milwaukee 
and I think even from what I heard through the grapevine, you even brought it down to St. John's. Uh, and again, that's yes, very yes. much important, important part of um, it is, the I Irish mean, culture. Know, I mean, I, I was raised in a community where the GA was all, you know, all enveloping. But to be frank, I come from a community where hurling is life. There's no other way to describe that. And I was utterly useless at hurling. And to this day, I remain so. And so my thing was music. My dad was a musician. His dad is a musician. And so I play music. It's part of the way I relax and, and you know, uh, kind of tune out of the, of, the, of the rest of the world. I sit at my piano late at night, uh, composing the odd tune, playing the odd tune. So everywhere I go in the world, um, there's a chance uh, to, you know, use that gift that I've thankfully been given uh, to connect with our Irish people around the world. So inevitably, if I enter into um, a, an Irish community facility anywhere in the world and there happens to be a piano sitting in the corner, at some point in the evening, the piano is going to be opened and we're going to have a sing-song. So uh, we did that in Toronto, um, uh, I got a chance to play the organ in the beautiful uh, Catholic Cathedral there in St. John's in Newfoundland as well uh, for just a couple of minutes, a beautiful instrument. So, yes, that's something that's really important to me, very much part of who I am. And it's great when I go abroad. I mean, I, I, I think our music is another great convener of the Irish diaspora worldwide. It is, again, that thing that brings us together. When you see uh, what happens, you know, in Milwaukee Irish Fest, you know, 140,000 people over, over a weekend, and again, another plethora of smaller but equally successful festivals around the U.S. and Canada. Um, it is that that thing that we can showcase to the world and be very, very proud of is our very strong musical tradition. And, Minister, the last time you and I spoke, you were uh, finishing up your visit to Newfoundland, and I know I put it to you that it probably might have been inspiring you to be creative. Um, have you been able to put the fingers to I the have, ivories and well, come up with something else? But you believe, I, I have a few ideas, and I call it musical doodling. Like if you were to open up a blank piece of paper and pick up a pen and doodle, I do that at home with a small little recording device I have sitting on the piano, and I just play in a few whatever com comes to me. Um, and then usually around Christmas time, which is not, not long away now, I get the chance maybe to pull all the little diverse pieces together and create something out of it. So, I mean, I was, to say I was inspired by Newfoundland is an understatement. I just thought this is an incredibly beautiful landscape with incredibly warm and welcoming people. Um, I thought it was a microcosm of Ireland that just had been, you know, if you had sawn off, um, the southeast of Ireland set it afloat and it found its way across the Atlantic. That's essentially what I felt it was. And, this, and the strength and the depth of the community there, and they're holding close to their hearts everything that matters about being Irish the music, the sport, the literature, the storytelling, that sense of, of community and the mehel uh, that is very much part of, of the traditional Irish rural life. That was all more than apparent to me in Newfoundland. So, yeah, I, I'm going to put all those pieces together. And hopefully, who knows, I might be able to email you something in the new year that, that, that I suppose that reflects my new experience of Newfoundland put to music. That would be something I'd like to do. Well, Minister, it would be much better if you kind of came and performed it over here. But <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You never that's, know. that's another, that's another day's work. Looking to the future, um, 2019, uh, there's a lot. I w if we look back in 2018, you were in all sections of the world you a, yeah. a very heavy agenda so looking to 2019 um, one or two things I want to ask you about is I know that there's the potential of a, a there's a referendum uh, on the mm -hmm. horizon uh, and to right. recognise the diaspora yes uh, and a very important one for uh, for me for my colleagues in the department and for the government and hopefully for the Irish here on the island and indeed the Irish worldwide 
we're having a referendum on the, on the end of May next year. It will be coinciding with our local elections and our European elections. The referendum will simply be asking for permission uh, to extend the right to vote in our presidential elections, to extend that right to every single Irish citizen around the world. And acknowledging uh, that these people are part of our global Irish community, the, the, the Irish constitution recognises them as that, that they are the citizens of this country, and simply saying that they should have the right to elect our first citizen, that person who best embodies who we are as a people. Um, um, obviously, in our most recent election, we've re-elected Michael D. Higgins, who's doing a wonderful job. But in seven years' time, we'll be having another election. And I think it would be powerful if all of our citizens worldwide did have that opportunity to play their part in choosing who our next president is. So what I'd really be asking those that are listening to this um, broadcast is to... As we approach next May, I mean, we'll be, we'll be doing a significant public um, awareness campaign around this. We'll be campaigning for, the, for hopefully a yes vote and the success of that referendum, that all of those people worldwide for whom this is very important would be mobilized in contacting their cousins, aunts, uncles, family, neighbors um, at home in Ireland and saying, please, this matters to me. I want to have this right as well. I feel it is the right thing to do. Um, would you please support me in doing so? And I think if we can mobilise the Irish community worldwide to engage with people back home here on, on the island, uh, I think we have, we, we, it would be a significant and a very important part of the campaign in order for us to achieve success. Um, in 2017, Minister, in 2015, there were Global Irish Civic Forums. Are there any plans for 2019? N not for a civic forum, but um, th there are plans for a, a number of events smaller events worldwide, yeah, something we're working on. We haven't finalised the detail of it yet, but I suppose the, 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 the Civic Forum at the time, um, we were emerging from a crippling recession, and we, we wanted to kind of garner the best ideas from our Irish people worldwide as to how Ireland would successfully emerge from that recession and begin to thrive as a country again. Uh, and thankfully we are now, and we have, you know, the most people at work ever since the state was founded, and we're the fastest growing economy in Europe for the last four years running, so thankfully things are going well here, and we've about 500 of our people returning to Ireland every week now as well, which is equally helpful in terms of uh, sustaining our economy in the future. Um, so th those forums were of their time, they were responding to a crisis um, but I would argue, having looked at the, um, the learnings arrived at from those fora, that we would need to engage on an ongoing basis in something similar, maybe not to the same scale, but just that we can, I mean, any level of communication, any level of engagement you have with your people worldwide is really important because it, 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 it's, it's about inclusivity, making them feel part of the decision-making process here on, uh, in the Republic, on the island, the island on the edge of Europe. And when it comes to engagement, Minister, I know that the, uh, uh, your area of the department have uh, outreach efforts in the form of, uh, you have a, month, a newsletter, regular newsletter? Yes, we have, yeah. Um, if you just log on to uh, Global Irish on the, on the DFA website, uh, you can sign up for a newsletter. Um, just uh, submit your email address and it will be uh, emailed to you um, very regularly. Um, we're also, if you want to kind of get a, you know, a daily news feed of what's happening, what's important to us, follow Ask Global Irish on Twitter. Um, and as I say, there's a number of other ideas we're beginning to flesh out in terms of using technology better to engage with our people worldwide. One of the things I noticed, for example, when I was in Toronto, um, there's a, a very substantial Facebook group um, Irish, I think it's called Irish recently arrived or Irish in Toronto. 
but there are almost 16,000 members of that Facebook group, group, book group, Irish people living in Toronto and its environs, supporting one another, either recently arrived or, you know, in situ for quite a while. And again, you know, if Irish people, and I think they do, they feel compelled to um, to form these virtual online communities, in essence, to support one another. That's what it's about, building that sense of a community in another location in the world. Um, I think we, we need to respond to that need within the Irish community worldwide to say, you know, can we build or create something that allows you to um, engage with one another more effectively so that, um, you know, no matter where uh, our people go in the world, there's, there's, um, there's a network they can plug into and connect with. And, I mean, let's just say, for example, tomorrow morning, I don't know, somebody in San Jose who's an Irish software developer develops a really um, cutting-edge HR management tool that they could essentially connect with people around the world who are Irish and who are involved in human resources management and have a ready and waiting uh, clientele for their product or for their service. So I think we can begin to build that sense of a people connected worldwide with one another, no matter where we are in the world, which is now facilitated by technology, I think we could do something really special in terms of building that sense of a truly global Irish nation because our Taoiseach repeatedly has made the point in the past that you do not need to live on the island of Ireland to consider yourself to be truly Irish. And that, and we're now living in a world where that perhaps might be described as a pipe dream five, ten years ago is now becoming a very real possibility with the technology that's available to us. So, Minister, is there anything else we should be looking out for in 2019? Well, hopefully we get through the Brexit process and come out the other end reasonably intact. I mean, what we're finding is, yes, Brexit is going to present many challenges for us, but it's also presenting many opportunities because post-Brexit, Ireland will be the only English-speaking country in the European Union. So, you know, um, investors from the English-speaking community worldwide who want to establish a first presence in the European Union, they are increasingly now seeing Ireland as the perfect launch pad for that. So hopefully, as I say, we'll emerge from Brexit um, as responding to the challenges that arise as best we can uh, and then positioning Ireland as that very unique launch pad into a market of you know, 440, 450 million people in the European Union. Um, you know, I, w- I will be travelling extensively again, uh, visiting all of our communities worldwide. We are looking at um, you know, that document, that, that uh, Global Ireland uh, policy document at 2025 uh, and seeing how we can better... Uh, utilize and connect with our, our 80 missions around the world, as you say, establishing new consulates in, in the U.S. and Canada and indeed in many other locations, South America, uh, Middle East, uh, Asia. Um, again, building and growing our presence worldwide so that Ireland can rightfully take its place uh, amongst the nations of the world in terms of shaping the kind of world we're going to live in in the future. Uh, so, yeah, it's exciting times here in terms of you know, the Taoiseach, uh, Leo Baracker, and indeed the Taunus and uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs, Simon Copney, have this very outward-looking view of where Ireland needs to go in terms of its place in the world. Um, and we are going to be spending a lot of time building those relationships, spending a, a lot of resources as well in, um, in, in, in building that Irish presence worldwide. And we want everyone, those that are listening to this program, and indeed those that are, no matter where they find themselves in the world, to feel that they are part of that, you know, of that endeavour um, and part of that ambition for us as a people, as a people, no matter where we live in the world. And Minister, it would be remiss if we didn't comment about the number of direct flights and uh, even indirect flights that are now available from Canada. And I w- will say I was out there um, going through the, uh, some of the offerings for 2019 and was blown away 
that uh, I came across a flight from Canada, from Ottawa to Ireland for less than $400 return at some stage during oh, the year. Okay. And what really surprised yeah. me was I looked as well for <coughs> that time of the year when it's high season, around August, mm. September, and I came mm. up with a fare that was uh, in around the mid-500s. Okay. Amazing Yeah, and that's very encouraging. I mean, you know, we're finding now globally that the cost of aviation is going down, 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 which is great in terms of, uh, you know, people moving around an awful lot more than they did in the past, perhaps in our, in our parents' time. Um, and, you know, that that going away, which was, was a very sad occasion in terms of the people that left this island 50, 60, 100 years ago, is now no longer the going away. It's just, you know... I'll, I'll be back in a few weeks' time. It, it, it is possible now for people to move back and over very freely between our two countries, which is great. And, and I mean, you know, Jim Kelly and all the team there in the embassy um, work very, very hard to, in, in order to first establish these links um, in terms of air travel and aviation, and then secondly to ensure that they survive and foster and, and grow. Um, so they are a, a very important element of the relationship between Ireland and Canada. No question about that. On a slightly more personal note, Minister, last one of the times you, uh, we connected it was at Vicker Street, and mm. Anya Morgan was performing. Yes. And he, Anya, yes, Anya has yeah. been going through some rough times recently. Anya Morgan performed one of your compositions beautifully with Sean Keane. Mm. Yeah, Anya is a very dear friend of, of mine, and either Sean Keane as well, the Irish folk singer. She's an incredibly talented singer herself. In fact, she sang with me at a choral performance in, in St. Nicholas's Church in Galway just last Friday. Um, but Anya's going through a really tough time um, with uh, cervical cancer. She's part of a cohort of women in this country who've been struck down by that horrific cancer and are now campaigning to have access to a drug that perhaps can offer them that most precious of things, a chance at life, at an extended life, because the diagnosis for a lot of these women is you know, that they haven't, to be frank, they haven't long left to live. So Anya has been campaigning, um, along with a, another powerful lady called Vicky Phelan, for the uh, for access to this drug. And uh, Simon Harris and indeed the HSE now are looking, uh, hopefully they're looking right now at a mechanism whereby uh, that cohort of women who have been diagnosed with cervical cancer and whom are suitable uh, for this treatment regime um, and, and so far, the results are very, very encouraging for other women that have access to it, have already have a, had access to it. So, um, we're hoping that in, within a very short time, the HSE and the Department of Health can create that mechanism whereby Anya and indeed, I think it's about maybe 40 Irish women in total who are in this small, unique cohort, that they can have access to that drug and and just see, you know, that uh, you know they have a future, they have a life to live. Uh, many of them are, are parents with young children. Um, and they need that certainty of knowing that if this drug works for them, then it, 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 there's a, a test you can do to determine whether or not you're suitable for the administration of this drug. If this drug works for them, well, then they do have a future uh, and a life to live with their families and to see their children growing up. So Anya has been to the forefront of that campaign and doing really powerful work in the print media, broadcast media here in Ireland, and she's to be applauded for that. And maybe you, as we, you and I wrap up, Minister, what we could do is wrap up and listen to Anya and Sean sing your composition, uh, mm, even though yeah. we are around the Christmas time. It's a most wonderful piece. It is, and, and, and in doing so, and thank you for, for doing that, Austin. Can I just, in terms of you know families and Christmas, uh, can I just wish every single member of the, our Irish community in Canada, and I'm, and I'm certain, Austin, you probably have many listeners outside of Canada, all of the Irish people worldwide who are listening to you, um, a very, very happy, a very peaceful Christmas, um, a very uh, successful 2019, and just to say thank you. 
thank you to each and every one of you for the role that you play in strengthening Ireland worldwide, in, in, in deepening the bonds uh, between Ireland and other countries worldwide. It is our people. They are and always have been our greatest resource. Um, and that's something that I just have affirmed to me over and over again whenever, whenever I go abroad. Um, they are, without doubt, the greatest asset we have. Um, uh, you know, every engagement they have in their workplace and with their neighbours, with their friends and music and friends in sport, over and over again, we reaffirm the world view of Ireland and its people as, a, as an exceptionally positive one. So to all of your listeners, a very happy and a very peaceful Christmas and a wonderful 2019. Minister Kieran Cannon, thank you very much indeed. Falling in love Wasn't part of the plan Everyone knew I wasn't A falling love man A whirlwind romance Over before it began now I know you were the one. What I would give one more hour with you. What I would give to do the things I didn't do.
gets stronger each day. What I would give to say, the things I won't say. What I wouldn't give to come back time for one more hour when you were mine. What I wouldn't give for one more hour. One more hour composed by Kieran Cannon, uh, Minister for the Diaspora for the Irish Government, and performed by Sean Keane and Anya Morgan. And you're listening to Irish Radio Canada at home and abroad.